Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody to episode number 171 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, January the 28th, 2023, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank Becca Davis for joining the show last Saturday. I want to thank Mike Kantz for joining Sunday's Collectible Live, and I want to thank Josh Madigan of Hockey Cards Gong Show for joining the new weekly coverage of the PLBCC Hockey Auctions. And then finally, thank you to Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V., for joining me for the Thursday Night Drop episode. Tomorrow on the channel, Collectible Live at five, at 7 o'clock Eastern. And again, the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auctions coverage with Josh Madigan, again, of the Hockey Cards Gong Show. That is at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. I want to ask you to join the close to a quarter million people who have already downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps when you're at a card show or to help you price your cards for any for sale on any platform also check out their collections and albums features too the app is continuously improving please join me in supporting the great team and the innovation they are undertaking at center stage also check out whatnot app for auctions group breaks buy it nows around the clock hosted by some of the most entertaining breakers in the hobby also i want to thank the hockey cards gong show for having me on their podcast this past week for their uh, their Hockey 101 series, we talked about the Parker sets spanning from 1951 to 1963. And as always, I thank all of you loyal viewers, listeners, subscribers. Thank you so much for keeping the show going strong. And if you are not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please take a moment and do so. And as always, your comments, your questions are in play tonight. So don't be shy, and let's get to tonight's episode. Tonight's guest started in the hobby in 2005 when he bought his first pack of cards and pulled his favorite, sorry, pulled the first round picks rookie auto, Andrew Bogut, and he's been hooked ever since. His favorite teams are the Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, and Red Sox, and his favorite athletes are Bill Russell and Kawhi Leonard. He's originally from Boston, Massachusetts, currently hailing from New York City. Let's bring him out Sasha Parfenov, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. Hi, Jeremy. Uh, how are you? Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I'm doing well, Sasha. I'm glad you're excited to be here. Uh, it's good to have you. I love doing these collector episodes. You've got a really cool story. We're going to get to all of that uh, really quickly. Let's say hello to Justin Vick. It's <laughs> 171 is his lucky number. What a random lucky number. But Hello, Justin. Collector's Dream is here. Sports MD, Jake Dahl, and Basketball Card Nerds. As Sasha P, talk about our love for 61 Fleer Autos. Yes, sir. All right. So, Sasha, first of all, hey, it's good to have you. I like, I love your account on Instagram, and uh, I love what you're collecting. But let's get a bit of history on you. Talk about your, your hobby history how did you get started at the beginning? What are some of your earliest sports card memories? Definitely. So as you mentioned in the intro, I really got into the sports card hobby back in 2005. Uh, I walked into a sports card shop, um, bought a pack of Bowman um, basketball, and uh, at the time pulled the number one draft pick, uh, Andrew Bogut rookie autograph. And, you know, as, as it is today in the modern world, pulling a number one picks autograph 
you know, everyone in the shops just freaking out, like $5 pack turned to $500, right? And from there, I was just hooked on it ever since. Um, yeah. Right on. And so did, what about experience, like within the hobby in those early days, uh, were, were you, were you hustling the hobby? Were you buying, selling, trading? Talk a bit about some of the, the, uh, activities you partook in within the hobby. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was, I was just a kid at the time, like 10, 11 years old. You know, I was, I was doing yard work in the neighborhood, trying to get any cash I could, then go to the card shop, um, meet with friends, rip open packs, you start collecting. Um, obviously I grew up in the Boston area, so was collecting Celtics, Patriots, Red Sox. Um, and then, yeah, it slowly kind of, as I matured in the hobby, started going to card shows, started buying other like Hall of Famers, learning about vintage um, and things kind of just took off from there. Did you, were you ever setting up a card shows in your young, in your like teenage years? Yeah, eventually I got to a point where I was setting up at shows and um, my collection got to a point where it was large enough where, you know, I could have a table and put out some cards. And did you, so we're talking about your teenage years. Had you, had you collected from 2005 right through till today? Uh, no. So I actually took some breaks in between. I think like most of us have, um, when I went off to, I, so I actually collected through, I guess, into high school. Um, that's when I guess Panini was kind of taking over, uh, tops and upper deck um, in basketball and many other sports. So that was around like 2012. So kind of, I thought the hobby was kind of coming to an end. So I kind of started leaving. I went off to college, um, got it, kind of got a job. So I kind of left the hobby for a bit. And then as with many others during the pandemic, you know, got home, started digging out my cards in the, out of the storage unit and then kind of got fully back into it in the last couple of years. So when you dug out your cards from the storage unit, what did you find? And, and what, what kind of, what was the status of these cards when you pulled them out? Yeah, so I had all sorts, I liquidated a lot of my collection um, before I got out, but I had a lot of different collections and it was interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I super collected um, Avery Bradley, who was a player on the Boston Celtics for a time, um, Clay Buckholz, who was a pitcher for the Red Sox. I had hundreds of their autographs, rookies and everything, some of their best cards. And, you know, I, I take it out a decade later and a lot of those, you, very few of you actually know who those players are, right? And those cards are practically worthless. But alongside them, I found some of my old vintage cards um, and I really got into signed rookies um, at the end of my kind of childhood co collecting. Um, so I dug out of that storage unit some of my signed Bill Russell rookies and some other signed vintage rookies. And those were the assets kind of that I found that appreciated the most in my collection. Uh, and that's when I decided to really go full on collecting more signed vintage the last few years. You referred to them as assets just now. Is that is that because you are, you know, you're a Wall Street trader and you deal in financial instruments or is that how you refer to your sports cards now? Uh, a mix of both, um, definitely. So I, I think when I was a kid, I mean, I was just collecting for the enjoyment of the hobby and everything. But now as I've matured and the hobby's matured too, I mean, these are definitely assets and I do work in finance. So I, I definitely, when I'm investing money into whatever it may be, I, I definitely see it as assets and long-term investing. Got it. So when you came back, uh, you, you came back with the pandemic, you dug out all these old cards. What did you do or how have you kind of uh, progressed from there besides collecting the vintage or, or, you know, the, we, as a lot of people that follow you on Instagram would know, you collect the top 75 NBA players, their autographed rookie cards. So, I mean, this goes back to players who are long time deceased by now, but what else did you do to kind of get caught up with what's going on in today's hobby? 
Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I kind of missed out on the entire Panini era. I was out of the hobby for maybe five or 10 years. Um, so for me to kind of familiar, familiarize myself and learn more about the ultra modern era and all the products and all the different parallels, I mean, there's so much to learn. Um, I really kind of picked the new player to PC and happened to be Kawhi Leonard. And I really like his style of play. I like how he's modest and humble. A lot of people don't like him, but he was also one of the key rookies in the very first year of Panini products in 2012. So his cards span the entire spectrum of all Panini products. So it's I've learned a lot just chasing kind of case hits in every year, different parallels, kind of finding out what the most desired autographs, his rarest rookies. And it's really allowed me to learn a lot about kind of cards in the last 10, 15 years. So is it fair to say then that when it comes to your Kawhi collection, you're collecting from what is this rookie year 2012? Yeah. So that's the first year Prism. So like, do you have his Prism Gold out of 10? Do you happen to have a copy of that? I don't, unfortunately, but I do have his uh, silver. Um, here, I'll show a couple of cards. So I do have, I have his silver and a BGS 10. Yeah. Uh, so pop six. And then back then there are only four variations. There's the base, the silver. Um, there's the gold, as you mentioned. And then the only other variation was the green retail only. Uh, which are also pretty rare. And I have the BGS 9.5 of that. Uh, very cool. Very cool. So is his gold prism rookie, is that like the top of your want list as, as it would be for many player collectors that yeah. prism gold? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely one of his most valuable cards besides his like rookie logo, man, auto, things like that. Um, his, his prism gold are de is definitely one of the top five most desirable cards for sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no doubt. Uh, that'd be, that'd be a big one to, to wrangle if, and when you can do that. Uh, let's say a, a big hello. I don't think this is the real Jeff Wilson, but hello. Uh, maybe the real Jeff Wilson is, if not the imposter, it's Jeff Wilson. Hello to you. Uh, Daniel A. What's going on, buddy? Collector's Dream says vintage is the way to go. Lots of vintage love in the hobby right now. Uh, Shine 150 says modern, easier to watch, wash my dirty cash. I can't imagine this is the real Shine 150, but I don't know for sure. Vintage Card Collector says, do you have all of the top 75 rookie autos or are you missing any? As of right now, I have 71 of 75. Um, so actually, the I guess last year was the 75th year anniversary of the NBA. So they voted on the 75 greatest players of all time. They couldn't pick a 75. They made it 76. But it's only 75 cards because Magic and Bird are on the same iconic rookie card. So it's only actually 75 cards for the 76 rookies. Um, That's actually, I'm, I'm, yeah. There's my, uh, triple signed Bird, Magic, Irving, graded a seven with a 10 autograph. So you've probably got Dr. J's autograph twice in this collection then, because he's also going to be in that list with his, uh, his rookie card. I think it's 72. Is it 1972? Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, that, that's really cool. I kind of like that they made it the top 76. It ties in well to the hobby. You only need 75 cards. That's uh, that's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, Jeff McMahon, good to see you. Good evening. Newt Stew says, get this, one day the modern will also be vintage. That, you know, I, so that's an interesting comment because it seems to me like the hobby kind of has put a, almost like a permanent end to when vintage ends. And then you've got like modern that starts, whenever that might be, depends on what sport it is or who you are. It's either 1980 or it's 1990 whenever it might be. I wonder if we'll ever consider today's modern to be vintage. Like that might be 150 years down the road. I guess I guess we'll find out. Well, we probably won't in 150 years. <laughs> uh, Justin Vick says, Kawhi Leonard has a fascinating career. I really want to hear all the behind the scenes stuff with the Spurs and the Raptors. Yeah, 
he sure uh, was a good was good for the Raptors. Colin Murray, what's happening, pal? Basketball card nerds as Sasha's LeBron rookie auto is pretty cool. So which which LeBron rookie auto do you have? So obviously LeBron's one of the 75 greatest players of all time, but uh, he was added in the <laughs> recent 25. So um, I had to get his. Uh, so this is actually one of the hardest ones to get, in my opinion. Uh, so I got his iconic 2003 Topps rookie and it's signed by him. Yeah. Um, and so the interesting story here is that if anyone knows, he's an upper deck exclusive. So he cannot sign um, any Topps cards um, because of his rights. So he refuses to sign any of these cards anymore. And actually, PSA refused to great, even slab this card. Um, so the gentleman that I got it from, he actually met him in 2004 and had the foresight to bring a camera with him. I mean, he I don't think he even knew that he was going to run into LeBron James, but he had a couple rookie cards and he had a camera and a pen. And he ran into LeBron James at McDonald's. Um, and he got two cards signed. The card now is a pop four. Um, there's very few out there. And this gentleman had two of them, and he took a picture of LeBron signing the card. Um, and so we had to send that photo evidence to PSA with the card, and they were able to slab it. So I have one of the four only um, in-person signed 2003 LeBron James rookie cards. Wow, so that's a super rare card. Probably like his rarest autographed rookie, I would I would have to think. I mean, besides maybe you know a logo man or something like that. But uh, that's very cool. And you got to give the guy who did that props for – having the foresight to carry LeBron James rookie cards and the right type of pen with you wherever you go in case you run into LeBron James. I mean, yeah, well, right. done. well done for, for that guy. And nice of him to move that card to you. Uh, Skeppy has a question for you. Sasha, he says, what speculative investments do you put at the same level or better than cards for 2023? Is this something that you can answer? I mean, if he's referring to like other asset classes, um, I mean, it's hard to say for any one year, right? If I, I think generally, if, if you are looking at assets and they're going to be generally going up um, for 2023, right? Typically, a higher beta or more volatile asset will probably appreciate more to the upside with, compared to other assets. So I, I do think kind of maybe certain cards are in that category, right? And um, some people might hate me for saying this, but, you know, crypto and other kind of high volatility assets, right? If, if you're generally bullish in market markets, these high volatility assets sh should generally outperform to the upside. Interesting. So, you know, as as you you heard and I, I had Gary V on the show uh, and I we dropped that episode on Thursday night. Um, and in the episode he makes I asked him, what do you see coming in 2023 as far as the hobby goes? And if I if I heard him right, I think what he what he what he said was, you know, he could see the hobby doing anything between, you know, uh, an overall, say, index type increase in value of 10% to a decrease of up to 30%. I think he kind of played it safe there with that with that, with that estimate. What do you think? I mean, you're, you're in the world of finance. How do you think his guess was? And do you have any, any comments on that? Or what would you have, would you have said it any differently? I mean, I think, I think that's pretty, I guess, in line with maybe average performance there, so that I wouldn't say that his prediction is anything out of, out of line from kind of historical averages. Um, I guess the one thing I will say is that we have seen a large drop in kind of sports card prices over the last year and a half, two years almost now. Um, and we really haven't seen a lot of these charts kind of come back. There's been no retracement to the upside whatsoever. It's been for the most part straight down for a long period. So I, I do think we're due for some sort of bounce and that bounce might be larger than what some people might think in this point in time. So I, I think the maybe the 
surprise could be the upside. Um, I just don't know how much more downside is left when a lot of these cards are already at or below March 2020 COVID lows. Yeah, I guess if, if it's going to go back up, I got to start buying some cards here pretty quick. Uh, there's there's a few a few that have hit the market recently that I'm, I'm very interested in. Mark Santucci says, hey, guys, I heard from the beginning that Sasha, that you're from Boston and root for the four, all four home teams. Wow. And just to confirm, like you're a sports fan through and through. You like all four of the major sports? Definitely. Grew up a huge sports fan. Uh, Love, grew up in Boston, love all four sports teams. I really was fortunate enough to, I I think it's the city of champions. You know, I saw what, uh, six Patriots rings in my lifetime. A Celtics won a championship. The Red Sox won three, maybe four World Series. The Bruins won a a cup, you know. So I I, I just grew up watching all those teams and I'll, I'll always be a life lifetime diehard fan of Boston sports teams for sure as you should be that's awesome you know the Bruins are having what might be a record-setting year in terms of win percentage and well just most wins overall it's quite unbelievable who's your favorite Bruin of all time and who's your favorite Bruin on the team right now oh uh good question I mean I mean favorite all time I gotta go Bobby Orr uh, hard to go against that. Um, well, you but... I mean, you, you could. I, I would have. I would have expected you to maybe say like Raymond Bork because Bobby Orr is before. He's before both of our times. Whereas Raymond Bork was there for so long, he had to leave and go to Colorado to win a Stanley Cup. But and everyone's happy for him. But I, I might have expected that. But that's fine. Hey, you, you, you pick whoever you want. How about right now on the team? Who's your favorite? Um, I, I don't know. I, I still like the old, old school core guys going back to the 2011 Stanley Cup. So I mean, like the. the Patrice Bergeron, right? Like all, all those guys. Um, I mean, um, what's his name? Mar- Brad Marchand. I mean, I know he's hated throughout the league, but he's, he's a Boston guy. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I love the team now. They're sitting on top of standings. And even the Celtics, they're kind of number one in the NBA. So, we got two out of the four Boston teams are just continuing to just <laughs> cruise to the it. top of the league. Yeah. Just killing it. Yeah. You guys are lucky over there for sure. Richard Price says that 48 Bowman Mikan is ridiculously awesome. Yeah, so everyone watching, if you are not following Sasha on Instagram, you should. Great account. You can see it on the ticker right now, at Sasha P Cards. So go check it out, and uh, you can just you can have a look for yourselves at what, what he's collecting. Jake Dahl says, what was the hardest rookie auto to get? Oh, yeah, Jake's stealing all my questions here. Jake Dahl. Let's go. Let's let Jake ask you these questions, Sasha. What was the hardest auto to get, and what was what is your favorite? I guess one of the hardest was the LeBron that we just discussed. Um, I will say now, uh, here's another very difficult one. Uh, is my Will Chamberlain? Oh. The Wilt is signed on oh, yeah, the back. I have the right? um, Wilt in action, um, signed rookie. Um, it's a pop four. I have the one that's highest graded. Uh, if I can pull it up here. Um, and it's signed on the back. So it's uh, Will Chamberlain. He signed it at the top there. And at the bottom, he inscribed it, Happy New Year, January 8th, 76. That's really cool. You have the, the date that he actually signed it on the card. I, I don't know that I've ever really seen that as an inscription before. I'm sure there are some out there. And that's the front. So what is your what is your position then on that action version of, of the card? for? Because he has two cards that year. That one is not widely considered to be his, his RC, his actual rookie card. What is your position on that as far as the rookie card status goes? 
I think it's still a rookie. It's the same set. It's it, there's two. I think it's it's two rookies. Shore his number eight. The portrait is the more iconic rookie. There's only three signed of those. Uh, one recently sold at Heritage last fall. It brought 140,000 with buyer's premium. You know, so hopefully one day I can upgrade to that. But for the time being, you know, I have this one, which is it's a pop four. I have the highest graded, and very few people know this, but this is the first basketball card ever depicting a dunk which I think has a lot of historical significance for the hobby. And I think as that becomes more prevalent throughout the hobby, I think this card will gain a lot more in popularity and it'll close the gap with the other one, in my opinion. Interesting. Interesting. Very, 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 very interesting. You did say that you'd like to upgrade to the other one. What's the population in terms of autographed copies of his more traditional rookie card from the 61 Fleer set? Pop three. So there's seven altogether. So only seven people can own an autographed Wilt in a PSA slab from 61 Fleer. Correct. And I, I have pictures of all of them. And I know we're probably five of the seven reside. And that's really cool. Really cool. All right. Let's go to Mark Santucci's. Oh, wait, we didn't get your favorite. So we got the hardest to get. Which of all the one of the 71 that you have, which card is your favorite? So of course my favorite is the Bill Russell. It's the one that started it all. So this is my uh, this is the one that I actually got signed when I was a kid. Um, so what started my whole interest in signed vintage rookies was actually back in 2007 um, when Tops came out. It was 0708. It was Greg Oden was the number one draft pick at the time, and they partnered. I guess they they collabed with Bill Russell. And they were kind of the two star players in the product. And one of the um, product hits was a signed Bill Russell buyback auto in silver ink and i spent lots of days and money ripping lots of boxes trying to find that card and one day i decided I, i'm just going to go do it myself so i went and bought a uh, bill russell rookie i was a, a teenager at the time um cracked it out of the sgc slab brought it to a show bill russell used to shine sign at the shriners show in wilmington massachusetts uh every couple of years and had the opportunity to meet him shake his hand speak with him and got this exact card signed um and so that that's the card that started my whole interest in Chase for signed vintage rookies. Um, I know it's definitely my favorite card in my entire collection. Wow, that's really cool, man. I, I that's super cool. It's uh, and I like I like the card because you know it's it's off centered up into the left there. But you know, of course, we all like centered cards. When you're looking for an autographed copy, you you, you and then the population is so low, you cannot be that picky. But the fact that that was your copy and you got it autographed, and it doesn't, like you probably you would. I don't think, like you wouldn't upgrade that. Would would you? Would you upgrade that for a better quality copy, considering that is the one that you've had your whole life? Like to me, there's so much value in my own nostalgia for something that I got. How do you? How would you feel about like upgrading that particular card? I guess it's how do you define upgrading? Because I would never move that card, but I got another one that I think is better. <laughs> What's the population? Uh, I think currently it's maybe high 60s, low 70s. Um, I know there's quite a few out there that are raw and not graded. I think ultimately it'll probably be around 100. Um, okay. Give or take 10. Right on, right on. Uh, yeah, Skeppy put him on the spot, but he he pulled through for sure. James Wynn says Wilt is cool and then goes on to say, I will give you $50,000 for that card. I think he means dollars. If not, 50000 what, James? But I think you mean dollars. So I actually have been offered 50000 US dollars cash for that Wilt. I've turned it down. Turned, yeah. I mean, you can't replace it. There's only seven in, the, yeah. in, in existence. So 
TB12 collection says signed vintage will become holy. Goes on to say it's the best investment period. That's certainly a, a worthwhile opinion, I would say. Boston Maple Leaf says, born and raised in Boston, since you are from Boston, how can you invest in a Pasternak high-end rookie card? Totally a profit investment. Not sure if that's a question or a statement, Boston, but yeah, Pasternak is definitely a uh, an amazing hockey player. Mark Santucci asked this earlier. Sasha says, now that you live in New York, have you changed any teams from Boston to New York? No, absolutely not. I would never root for any of those teams. I despise most of the teams he just listed. So unfortunately, Mark, I... We sit on the opposite sides there. There you go. I, don't, I can't blame you. Collector's Dream says the story about getting it signed is awesome. Is the Bill Russell the only card in your 71 card collection that you had autographed yourself? No, I, I've gotten quite a few signed. Um, I, I would I will say majority of them I've 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 picked up signed already. Um, I can show. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, at the National this past summer in Atlantic City, I got the chance to meet Julius Irving. Um, that was a great experience. He signed my rookie, so I have a 1972 Topps uh, PSA 7 with a 10 autograph um, of his rookie. Uh, I've gotten, when I was a kid, I'd, I pursued that triple uh, Magic uh, Bird rookie as well. Um, so I, I went to three different shows, went and meet, met Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and Julius Irving and got that card signed. Um, it graded a seven with a, a 10 autograph. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of the athletes. It's, I think it's part of what, what makes this interesting and it's the stories behind a lot of these cards. Um, yeah. but I mean, I, uh, yeah. Right on. Uh, James Wynn says, uh, smart man to turn me down on the $50,000 offer and vintage card collector says, are you particular on the card or autograph grade that you collect? I, I guess it's, it's depends on the card. Um, you know, when it comes to the will, I, I, I can't be picky. You know, if, if I can even get one, I'm going to get it right. Um, of course, when it comes to vintage, it's all about the eye appeal, right? If you can get, um, here's a, a one I got in recently. It's an Elgin Baylor sign rookie. Um, and it's a four card presents pretty well. And it's a 10 autograph, beautiful blue ink, uh, Sharpie autograph inscribed hall of fame 77. Right. So it, when, when possible, I would love to pick up a beautiful card like that. Um, but with some cards, it's, you can't, you can't be that picky. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you for sure. It, it's going to come down to what decade is the card from like what era and, and when the population, the more there are out there, the pickier you can be, the, the longer you can wait to, to find one that really kind of hits the spot for you. TB12 collection says I have a 51 Bowman Mickey Mantle signed rookie and it's, it's centered. It's a PSA three with a nine auto. I wonder, like, uh, yeah, a question for TB12 is what is the, the the PSA population on autograph 51 Bowman Mickey Mantles? I'm curious because that sounds like a nice card. A center three and a half is, is a, is can, may still be a very nice card and a nine auto. Nothing wrong with that considered, considering he had to sign it quite some time ago. I don't remember what year Mickey Mantle passed away, but it wasn't uh, recently, I don't think. I, uh, I believe the 52 tops is a pop 11. That's mm -hmm. his uh, iconic card. I don't know if the 51 Bowman's more or less, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's around there. And interestingly enough, a lot of the baseball has higher populations. I think it was more kind of, even though it was very taboo for a long time in the industry to get cards signed, I think it was more kind of uh, allowed within baseball. You see a higher popular, like, the, uh, to imagine that there's a 52 tops mantle 
um, and the pops 11, right? That, that's pretty high compared to some of the rare, like if, if a Wilt is a pop three, right? Yeah. So. Probably still fewer to go, probably scarcer still, even at 11 though, just with the popularity of, of uh, baseball and Mickey Mantle over basketball and, and even uh, Wilt, I would think. But uh, TB12 lets us know 23, 51 Bowmans, but only seven have a numerical grade. Yeah, that, the numerical grade on the autograph is something that I'm not that interested in, but I think it's, it's I guess, many people are. Uh, it goes on to say Mantle died in 94, 95. Yeah, because he had to sign that dual autograph with Ken Griffey Jr. that Upper Deck did. So that definitely makes sense. I think he was, uh, when he said 23 with only seven numerical grade, I think it means like card grade. Um, most of the time when it's oh. PSA DNA, um, a lot of the people who don't grade the card itself or go with the authentic, it'll be bucketed kind of into that authentic category. And anything with a numerical card grade is kind of considered carrying a premium. Got it. That makes sense. Thank you for that. Skeppy says, if you would have done that with a Bill Russell in the 80s and 90s, like get it autographed in person, you would have never heard the end of how dumb it was. I think it's really cool. You took a passion and made it happen. Yeah, I mean, the the whole the hobby stance on getting vintage cards autographed has has changed. It, and it's like changing as we speak from what I'm seeing uh, just, you know, among the circles that I travel in. Yeah. And, and on that on that note, you know, it was one of the biggest things when I was a kid. Right. I didn't really care. I coming back to the hobby mantra of collect what you like. Right. So when I was getting into the hobby, you know, I, the idea that I had a player, one of my favorite players could sign a card and I could hold that card and, and keep it right. That for me, that was kind of the point of the hobby, right? It was, it was all about getting closer to the players we all love and enjoy, right? That's why we love the autographs, the game use memorabilia. It kind of brings us closer to that action, right? So when I got that Bill Russell rookie signed and I was a 12 year old kid running around the show ecstatic and dealers were kind of putting me down saying, wow, why, why would you ever do that? You ruined that card. You know, that card now is worth half of what it was, you know? And as a kid, you know, that, that really kind of depressed me and hurt my sentiment in regards to the hobby. Right. And after all these years, you know, all those dealers were wrong and those cards are the ones that appreciate it now. And I think it goes to show that at the end of the day, it really comes down to collect what you like. And if you really believe in what you're collecting, right, there are probably other people that collect it too. And yeah, and, and if you're not super concerned on the value at the time, but you're passionate about it, you never know. The value may catch up as it did for you. So that's pretty cool. James Wynn wants to know, can we ask him if he has any super modern cards? I, I've never heard of I've never heard of super modern, but uh, what do you have in terms of modern cards? And and I mean, you can even talk, let me know or let us know a little bit about, you know, you collect your top 75 autographed rookies from basketball. You collect Kawhi Leonard. Do you have any other sort of mini PCs or side personal collections that you uh, go after? Um, yeah. So I, I, I mean, generally I collect any Boston sports, right? So I kind of, I have some Jason, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum cards, um, some modern kind of Boston players. Um, but when it comes to the top 75, the most, the, the most recent rookie in the top 75 was the 2013 Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, which is the prism rookie. So I have that one signed that Luca and none of these other players are included in the top 75. They probably will be in the top 100. So when it gets there, I'll probably have to get those. But for the time being, Giannis is kind of the youngest in the top 75. Um, but then, for, I mean, obviously with my Kawhi Leonard collection, um, I, I collect quite a bit of ultra modern stuff of his. So um, here's a, a low, 2020 Immaculate 101 logo, man. Game used, which I know is very important these days. So. 
Um, I definitely have uh, my fair share of some ultra modern cards. Right on. Very cool. Very cool. Mark Santucci says, when the Boston Bruins come to Madison Square Garden, do you get tickets for the Rangers game to go watch your Bruins play? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I went to the Bruins game a few, actually a few weeks ago when they came to MSG. Right on. What is up, Baz? Baseball card curmudgeon. Good evening to you. And Albert Jones with the big question we've all been waiting for. There's 75 cards on the checklist. You need four more. What are they? Yeah, so I need four more. Uh, two are vintage, two are modern. Um, the two vintage, the hardest one that I've had, in my in my opinion, is a, a signed 1957 Paul Arizon. Uh, one of the lesser known players. He won a championship with Will Chamberlain on the 76ers. Uh, this is a pop eight card. This is obviously an example signed. Um, I haven't seen one available in over three years um, since I got back to the hobby. Uh, the big one, which obviously is the big kind of hole in my collection, but it's more uh, it's more of a, a, a financing issue. So one day I'll pull the trigger on the 86 Fleer Jordan. I think it'll be the last one. Uh, there's a lot of kind of controversy around this card. There's lots of fakes and counterfeits of it. So I want to I want to take my time and due diligence before I really acquire that one. I don't want to, you know, a decade down the road, find out that I have an issue with one of my cards and it's actually a fake to begin with. So I want to be careful with that one. Uh, and then the two modern ones, believe it or not, uh, they're just pop zeros. They just, even though the players are alive and well, uh, Carmelo Anthony. So I need his 2003 tops rookie just signed. I was really hoping for him to get picked, signed by a team. Maybe he will before the playoffs uh, begin. But uh, I was hoping for kind of a going away tour, and hopefully he would be signing at games. I can go to a game and get it signed. But it's a pop zero, believe it or not. And the fourth and final one that actually is kind of a reason why I started my Kawhi Leonard collection is I need the Kawhi for the set. He really doesn't sign. 2012 Prism, his iconic rookie. Uh, it's a pop zero signed by him. So hopefully one day I can meet him, get it signed, or – acquire one but those are the four i need that are left so that Kawhi card i mean it's such a it's such a dark card just in, with the the silver like what would you go with like a, a bright paint pen on that or would you go with a blue sharpie like what how what what sort of ink would you want on that because i wouldn't want the autograph to be you know to not really pop on it so what, what's your plan yeah i mean i got i guess you wouldn't obviously do like a black sharpie on this um i actually so uh, Damian Lillard is in the top 75. He's from the same set. Uh, I have it kind of in a white paint pen. Uh, mm-hmm. Came out kind of good. So I think like a, I've seen a lot in Sharpie, uh, blue Sharpie, or kind of a white paint pen. So something along those lines, but obviously not a black. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, a nice a white paint pen would look amazing on there. Anything else? I, I don't know. Like, so I think that's a, I think that's a good plan for sure. Uh, baseball, basketball card nerd says they're, I'm not sure if he's saying, I think he's saying there can't be any vintage rookie autos harder to find than the Wilt. I believe that's what this is trying to say. Does that does that make sense? And and, and what's I think harder than Wilt. It's one of those things where like the Wilt, even though it's a low pop, it's such a famous card that they're out there, right? You can you'll see them at a show. They'll be in a showcase, right? But you know, such as this Paul Arizon that I mentioned, it's a pop eight. It might be kind of the same amount as the wilts but you walk around a show you walk around the national you're you're not going to find it um, you're not going to see it so some cards are might appear scarcer than that will the will definitely does come up for sale you know one or two will come up for sale every year um, even though it's a pop seven um, at least the past few years but 
some of these cards just don't come up for sale at all, even though they have higher pops. Yeah, uh, for sure. Vintage Card Collector says there's there are a lot of authentic grades because people have extremely beat up cards that are signed, which does make sense, especially if that if we're going back to like getting cards signed in the 80s and 90s, people may have preserved their 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 better condition cards and got the worst condition ones signed. Therefore, when you later got them authentic, you know, authenticated and slabbed by by PSA, you were gonna you were you were gonna just go for the authentic grade. You don't care about the card grade. You just want to get that that uh, autograph authenticated. So a lot of them might just be PSA DNA with that old blue label that doesn't have any grade on it. That, that could be the case there. That's sort of my, my what I'm kind of thinking. Definitely, I think I completely agree with you. When when cards were getting signed back then, people would usually pick beat up kind of examples of the card. And I think most cases, when you look at the PSA DNA pop report on any card, more than half will be in that authentic um, grade. So as I think it was uh, TB12 collection said mentioned earlier, less than half actually have a numerical card grade most of the time. So the Michael Jordan, you said, you know, there's, you're going to do your due diligence on it. It's a financing issue. What is your, if you were in a position to buy one right now, what would you have to budget? What's the market on a on an autographed Jordan rookie, and I know there are those twenty three that were done more recently as a by I believe by Upper Deck as a buyback, or maybe maybe it was by Fleer. I'm not sure who did those. But what's the what's the uh, market on one of those right now? How much are you gonna have to spend to buy one like right away? Yeah, I, I think it really comes down to condition um, and making sure it's slabbed. So for me, I, I, I'm really I follow the PSA registry. Um, so I need to make sure it's PSA slabbed and it has a dual numerical grade. Um, so a lot of these Jordans are kind of raw or they'll be Beckett slabbed or they'll have the blue label slab and they're hard to get crossed over to a red label. So a lot of those will sell for cheaper. Maybe you can get probably one of those in the 10 to $30,000 range, right? But there's a lot of issues or are they real? Will they cross over to a PSA red label slab? So to pay up for a good example of one that you're certain is authentic and has a proper dual numerical grade, um, anywhere from probably 35 upwards of 70,000 or more, depending on the condition of the card and what the autograph looks like. Yeah. Okay, good. And uh, I, I believe the buyback you're referring to, was, I think it came from 0708 um, Fleer. And I think they had a, a buyback autograph that was number 23. Yeah. And I believe one sold at Sotheby's over the summer. And I think it fetched over a million dollars. Yeah. That's what I was referring to. Boston Maple Leaf says, I live in Watertown, Mass. Been collecting since '81. Been collecting hockey since the early '80s. Want to make some trades? I have a massive hockey collection. Nice to see someone else from MMA. Very nice. Very. Definitely nice. always open to trades or anything. Reach out to me on my Instagram. Reach out on IG. I'll put it back on the ticker here in a minute. YKJP says, "What's the opinion on metallic pens? For example, for example, silver." Yeah, I mean, I think. This really comes down to what, what people prefer. Um, I think a lot of vintage card collectors really prefer kind of a Sharpie or even a, ball, a vintage ballpoint pen. Um, that's kind of up in the air of what the really people prefer. I think for me, it really comes down to eye appeal, right? It, what does the card look like with that autograph? So I think a metallic pen on some of the vintage cardboard wouldn't look good. But then again, putting it on a Chrome card now, Right. If we talk about a silver or white paint pen on that Kawhi Prism, I think that looks great. Right. But I, I wouldn't put that on a 61 Fleer rookie of any Hall of Fame. Yeah. Makes sense. Skeppy says, have you ever purchased a card that was authentic but slabbed as a trading card with an autograph? And if so, 
would you crack it to grade it and any advice if collectors run across this? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I have a lot of experience with this. I've done this a lot. I think there's a lot of different kind of labels when it comes to signed cards. I think it, what makes it very confusing and it actually detracts from the kind of the niche area in the hobby. You know, some people are like, what's the trading card? What's the blue label? What's this? What's authentic? There's just so much to it. Um, that's why I like the dual numerical grade that always has the premium. It's just a clear number for both grades. Um, so I, I do this a lot. There's a lot of nuances. I could talk about this topic for a while. My biggest advice, I think, unlike normal cards is I, I would not crack it. I would cross it over because the fact that it's already slabbed ensures that the autograph is authentic. Because if you crack it out and submit it and then they deem that the autograph's not authentic, you're kind of out of luck, right? So wh whereas with normal cards, you know, if you have a Beckett slab card and you want to cross it over PSA, you would typically crack it. With the autographs, I would, I typically do not do that. Let's talk about baseball for a minute, Sasha. Mark Santucci wants to know, do you have any Red Sox mid to late 70s rookies like the guys that are listed right here? He does go on later to ask about Yastrzemski and some others, but uh, what, do, what do you have for, for Red Sox? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a sign. I believe it's 1960 tops, Carl Yastrzemski rookie. Um, so I have, I have some of those. Um, I mean, I have, I have some just cards of like uh, autographs of some of these players, some Jersey cards, some patch cards, um, but not I, some signed rookies here and there. Vintage card collector asks, this is an interesting question. Do you think people will crack higher grade vintage to get them signed? He has a uh, PSA 872 Irving. I'm thinking of getting signed in person. And let me just jump in here for a sec, Sasha, before you answer with a, a, an experience I had. I, I used to collect autographed hockey rookie cards. And at one point I had a Marcel Dion. He's like the fourth leading point getter of all time in NHL history was number two behind Gretzky for a lot of years. Um, I had a, I think I had a PSA six maybe. And I remember I was at a show in Vancouver. He was there autographing. I took it with me and I cracked it out and I had him sign it and he signed it with a blue Sharpie, but the blue Sharpie, it didn't, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a great Sharpie. It, it kind of got, it bubbled all over. It was, it, he kind of, it ruined the card. It, it really put a bit of a mark on the experience for me because the card came out. I was like, Oh darn it. I, I cracked it out of its slab. It wasn't super high grade, but it was still a nice copy. And it came out with, with bad ink. So my, my question that I'm going to go, I'm going to ask you, and then we'll go to vintage's question here is, have you ever had an experience where you've given a card to a player to get autographed? And the autograph turned out and you were like in a way that disappointed you? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a risk you take with this. Um, I've actually, I, uh, I'll i show that that's my Julius Irving that I got signed at the National. It was actually a PSA 8. I cracked it. Uh, and, and it came back a 7. That's kind of the risk you take, right? After a player actually handles a card, the numerical grade could be less, you know, they're, they have big hands. They grab it by the corners. Right. I think that's the, one of the nerve wracking things. I'm standing there in line. You hand the card to the player. You're just like, don't, don't grab it by the corners, right. Grab it by the edges, take care of it. Um, and, or the autographs, you know, they, they, uh, it slips, it goes off the card while they're signing it. Someone screams their name, you know, they, they lift their head up and, and an autograph smudges, right. It, it could be a disaster sometimes, and, and that's the risk you take, right? And I think that's what makes a lot of this exciting, um, but it's it's definitely not for this, uh, you know, it's 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 pretty nerve-wracking, so I definitely be careful with what you do and only do it if you're willing to take that risk. 
And so the vintage card collectors question here, and I mean, you talk to people in the community, you're in touch with, well, I won't say all, but many of the autograph vintage card collectors. Do you think that people are going to start to take that risk more, crack high-grade vintage to get them signed by players? What are your thoughts on that? What are, what, what's, what's the chatter right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people are doing it. I mean, if you look at baseball, especially, you know, some of the junk wax era rookies, you know, what's a good way of adding value to them is getting them signed and having that dual numerical grade, right? So the iconic card is that comes to mind is the 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey rookie, right? I, I, hobby staple, but there's thousands, if not tens of thousands of them around, right? But how many are a dual 10-10 grade, right? I think those bring a very uh, high premium. And I think even those are already over pop 10. So there's more and more of those. And people are clearly cracking PSA 10s, getting them slabbed and hoping they come back 10-10. So of your whole collection, speaking of the top 75, your 71 cards, which one is which one is your favorite? And then follow-up question, which one cost you the most money? And how much, if you're willing to share that, but no pressure. Uh, yeah, so I, I think, I mean, favorite one was the Bill Russell we already discussed, but I'll, uh, I'll mention another one here. Um, I think it's just a lot of people would ap appreciate this one. It's the 1996 Kobe Bryant signed tops rookie. Um, so obviously very iconic card. Um, very, very sad and unfortunate with his passing. It makes it a very, a very rare card. I think, I believe right now it's a pop nine. Um, I think there's quite a few potentially that are not graded yet. Um, and they're probably, probably buried in collections. Um, but as of right now, it, it's a pretty rare card. Um, and one of, yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, that's, uh, that is, I mean, yeah, died so young. Um, yeah, that's a, that's definitely a cool. And what about value wise or which one did you spend the most money on? And do you want to share that, uh, that figure? Yeah. So the most expensive card I, I ever bought was recently in the past few months and it was my George Mikan signed rookie um one of the big ones that i really needed uh, it's a pop eight they really do not come up often i think this is a, a gorgeous uh card great eye appeal and the autographs blue matches the background um and this one actually has a blue label so i think i'm, I'm actually gonna get it crossed and i mean we'll see what the card comes back it's hard to tell and it, a lot of these were trimmed so it might come back altered but otherwise i mean visually the car, card appears like a, a three or four it presents very well I mean, even if it did come back altered, you know, as a collector of what, if I were you and I was collecting the same thing that you are, I wouldn't be that bent out of shape about it. If it, if I found out the card was altered, it's still an auto, an authentic autograph Mikan from 1948. I mean, that's what's the population on autograph 48 Mikans. Yeah. It's, it's a pop eight. I think maybe only three have numerical grades. So most yeah. of them are in that authentic slab. Luca Nation Network makes a, po makes a very funny post. We'll ask you this question, Sasha. Do you think hockey cards will ever be able to catch F1 in wrestling and Disney Lorcana and Marvel in card collecting popularity, or is it just always going to be for Canadians? <laughs> He's, they're taking they're taking a little jab at me there, which is yeah. Which is I mean, hilarious. I think I think there's a huge uh, community for hockey cards, and I, I think you just don't see it really much in America. I think it continues to grow, but I mean, obviously in Canada and. Europe and many other places around the world, you know, a lot of people love hockey. It's one of the most popular sports in the world. Yeah, nice. James Wynn, I'm just going to bring this up to this question up very quickly to shut it right down. It says, thoughts on NFTs? That's like asking me, 
you know, thoughts on collecting spoons, you know, completely unrelated as far as I'm concerned. So here's my NFT. Here it yeah, is. <laughs> yeah. A, a picture representation of what you actually own. Collector exactly. Dream says, do some of the top 76 players sign through the mail? That's a great question. Um, good question. Um, I know Robert Parrish was for a time being. Dave Cowens was. So you could probably find a couple that do. Um, actually, I mean, players like Bob Cousy, who I think he's 93 years old, still does, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar do. You just have to like pay a fee or uh, provide a donation to their charity. Um, so I'm, a lot of the players still do sign. They do private signings. You can get them through the mail. You can meet, you can meet them at public signings. So there's definitely a lot, a lot of ways to get cards signed with them. Right on. Uh, vintage card collector speaking about the breaking the card breaking the card out the high grade card out of the slab to get it autographed says high risk high reward for sure a few months back pwcc sold an 81 montana psa 9 auto 10 for 17k the psa 9 unsigned goes for two thousand dollars very interesting and speaking of pwcc sasha as you as you know me and adam cover their their premier auction was that Mike and purchased from PWCC's premier auction. Yeah, it was. Were you watching the show when you bought it? I was. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Cool. Very it made cool. it much more enjoyable bidding. And uh, I mean, I love the show. I'm a big fan. I always try to tune in when I can, and it always makes it much more exciting participating in the premier auction. Watching I'm the show. glad you tune in. Thank you for that. Yes. Very funny cage or Andrew spoons are awesome. Yes. Yeah, spoons are awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you about sort of the community, the, the, you know, the sports cards in our hobby. We, you know, we are a huge community and uh, there's so many more ways now and venues upon which that we can become a part of it and, and get to know our fellow collectors. And then within the overall hobby community, there's are all these little niches within it. And one of them would be autographed, uh, vintage rookies or autograph vintage cards and you also mentioned earlier that you've you know or you've seen pictures of all seven of the autograph 61 Fleer Wilt Chamberlains so that made me think you must know you must have these images because you know the people that have them the community talk a little bit about the community and how close it is and like has anyone said to you Sasha you know when I when I'm ready to when I'm ready to sell my, uh, uh, I forget what, what was the what was the t- the one that you really need the old one the one uh, of the fifty seven Paul Arizon Paul Arizon when I'm willing to move my Paul Arizon you've got first dibs on it has that has that happened talk a bit about the community and how that works yeah absolutely I mean that's that's such a major aspect of all of this I think so much of it is the search and the hunt of finding these cards and the ones that are low pop right I think. For myself, like I'm, I'm an analytical driven person. I'm very quantitative. I've, I've in sorts, I've created a database and images of all the cards, right? A lot of that is meeting new collectors, finding out what sets they're pursuing, right? A lot of people are pursuing the signed 1961 Fleer set. Um, people have gone very close. I know a few people have gone within one card of completing it. A few people have a, a complete 1969 Topps basketball set. A lot of people have a signed 71 Topps basketball set. So you start meeting these people. A lot of the people are longtime autograph collectors. Some of these people were getting cards signed in the 60s and 70s. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I find myself, I'm probably one of the younger people in, in this kind of niche side of the community. And I've been fortunate to kind of build my network out and have a lot of relationships with a lot of people, collectors. And as they kind of 
age or move on from the hobby, you know, I've, I've come in and bought out a lot of their collections and I've had first dibs on cards I've needed. And now I've just been patient. Um, you know, the, the Will Chamberlain I have now, I, I was, I knew the gentleman for nearly three years and I would kind of meet with him occasionally, you know, have calls with him, go out with drinks, you know, and then one day he came up to me and was like, I need to move it. It's yours. Let's make a deal right now. You know, and all of a sudden I just find myself having to shuffle around my funds and cards and just having to make it work. Right. And that's the beauty of all this. So I, I have a very large network. I think people love to sh share their signed vintage cards and everyone's trying to finish sets. So everyone's sharing the list they need. Um, obviously for me, if I didn't share the cards I needed, I would not have been able to find many of these. A lot of the cards I found were only thanks to all the networking I've done and a lot of the wonderful collectors in the community. Yeah, that, that's consistent. You know, and I had Jeff Hart on the show, I think back in September of last year, he's Patriot Sports Cards on Instagram, and he competes quite hard on the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame registry. And he was mentioning just how close and supportive the his fellow collectors of that particular set are. And uh, I think I think it's just one of the, one of the coolest things about the hobby is, is the support that we can find from each other. And how when you're how when you're looking for a card and other people know it, you know if they see it, they're going to let you know, and that's uh, that is always a nice thing. Uh, just shows the, the the support that we have and the strength of, of the hobby itself. Absolutely, you know, and I think there are some collectors out there that are very you know protective of their their cards, their collections, and are secretive when it comes to that matter. But for me, I've had the complete opposite experience. You know, sharing my lists that's that's how I found these cards. You know, I'm. Thank you again for having me on the show. I'm, I want to, I need these four cards to finish my set, you know? So if anyone out there has any one of these four signed cards, you know, please reach out and connect to me, you know, I'll offer finders fees and you know they're out there. I need to just find them. So I hope one day someone will reach out to me and I'll, I'll be able to finish the set one day. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you will, but you know what the, the other part, and I've learned this over the years is when you're chasing a big set, you know, like, and by big, I mean, you know, like 75 cards or more, let's say that, um, once once the journey is over once you complete it it's it's you know you have that moment of elation where you get that last card you feel really good and then it's almost a letdown because you've you've spent so many days in a row it could be like 3500 days in a row it could be like 10 years that you've looked for these cards and then it's done it's almost like it's almost like you're and i haven't had this happen to me yet and i'm a far, far far away from it but it's almost like your kids moving out of the house you know you were with them all the time and now they're gone. I could see there that being, I know it's a loose parallel, everybody, but I could see that sort of being a similar feeling like, you know, I've, I've collected this set. I, I went after 150 cards. I get the last one. And that's a bit of a letdown now. I don't have, I'm not, there's nothing more to look for within that particular set. You either need a new project or, uh, or, or you gotta, you gotta follow your kids to whatever city they meet, I suppose. So, uh, okay, let's keep on going before I go. I, I was going to add on that note, you know, in terms of next projects, you know, as I found myself quietly deleting all the safe searches as I got the cards one by one and I'm left with these four, I'm like, well, what do I do now? I, 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 I'm a, I have a hunger to search and look for new cards. And what do I find myself doing? Now I just find myself doing all the signed basketball sets. I have a whelp. I need another one for my signed 61 FLIR set. So now I'm finding myself getting duplicates or, for uh, a lot of these cards to just have a complete set. So um, like not my 1969 top set, I already have 70% of it signed and 1961 Fleer set signed. I have over 50% of it. So I said, if I already have all the big names, why don't I just go for all the others, right? So very quickly just morphed into 
collecting more signed vintage. Yeah, because even then, right, if you're talking about the top 75 and now you've already got your sights set on the top 100 when that list comes out maybe in 25 years, you're going to you're going to already have a lot of those cards that will be there because you're doing this. So even right now, if it was me, I'd be looking for that next tier of players to add to my collection because I don't want to stop searching and looking and adding to my collection. That's just in, in part of my nature. So I completely understand that. Let's get some more comments here. Boston Maple Leaf says, I'm from Boston and hockey cards is all I care about. Every other sport is completely mad to me and makes no sense. Like other sports are way more high priced than hockey. Makes me sick. Hockey, one thing we're fortunate in hockey is that uh, they they tend to, to run you a little bit less than the other sports main cards do, main players do. Mark Santucci says, Sasha, do you have the league leaders card 1979 home runs faster Foster and Rice, do you like league leader cards for all sports? I don't have that card. I don't have very much obscure signed baseball cards. Um, When it comes to league leaders, not really a fan unless you need it for the set, right? If if there's an insert or a league leaders card and you're going for the complete signed set, well, you're going to need that league leaders card signed. Here comes a really cool suggestion from Scott Neighbor. One, he says, one idea to protect the card when you're giving it to a player to autograph might be to cut out the center area of a penny sleeve and top loader while getting it signed. I've never thought of that, but that might then not only not only do you protect the edges and corners of the card that way, but you also get to tell the player exactly where to put his signature. Is that is this is this a practice that is that is done in the hobby? I've never seen or heard of it. But it makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely becoming more prevalent. I, I see people getting really kind of creative, right? Either cutting, kind of, yeah, preparing it in some manner. I've seen people putting it kind of on a piece of cardboard, you know, so it, it won't bend or something. But to me, at the same time, the more other objects you involve to try to protect the card, the more likely you might damage it somewhere in the process, right? So at some point, it's like, well, if you just take it out of a sleeve and get it signed and put it back in, that's the simplest way and once you add layers to try to protect it you might actually end up damaging the card but to each their own a lot of people are trying different things so uh, just good luck to whatever you do (laughs) yeah i know yeah i i and i hear what you're saying that that does make sense to me alan says just keep it in the one touch with the top off that's another option but if a player gets distracted and the card falls out you know yeah. (laughs) yeah i mean that that would be that would be, uh, I'd be nervous about doing that too. So you, you just, there's risk no matter how you're going to do it, I think. Uh, vintage Card Collector says, was the PSA 8 Dr. J card that you cracked, was it a strong 8? And do you think he damaged it slightly when he signed it to make it a 7 when it came back? Um, it was uh, it, was, it was a strong 8. It didn't have the fisheye under the elbow, which is a, uh, often what you see on a lot of the Dr. J Irving uh, rookies. And it was an old PSA label. I think that's probably why I came back a seven. I think he I, he did a great job handling it. I, I kind of talked to him a little bit, and I saw him handling a lot of the other rookies. So I, I think he's aware of what he's doing. Um, but it, it did come back with a PWCC, I think, uh, S, satisfactory, maybe like top what 30 or 15% eye appeal, whatever it is. So it did come back a seven, but it got the eye appeal sticker. So I, I'm, I'm happy with it either way. S is superior, which is the top, uh, I believe superior is the top 5%, right? It goes, A is above average, top 30, and then there's E and S, and I'm, I'm confusing which one is which, but uh, one is 
one is exceptional and one is super. I think superior would be the top 5%. If you have that, that's a very strong seven. Yeah, I got to remember. It was either the E or the S, but. Uh... Yeah, neat. I have a Dr. J rookie. I just found my scan of it. And I, I, I know that I, I'm, I'm aware of the fisheye under the elbow and uh, very, very happy that mine does not have that. It's a, That's nice, a great, gorgeous nice example. Copy. Yeah. Uh, Albert Jones, I can only imagine Shaq or Jordan with their massive mitts signing such a small piece of cardboard. Yeah, is that, a, is that a, an issue for these guys? I mean, in terms of signing it, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's becoming more prevalent, right? I think they know they're going to signings. They're presented with so many cards to sign. They're they're becoming more familiar with how to handle it. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to the basketball players. I mean, I was standing there. I mean, Julius Irving's huge. His hand is massive. So it's twice the size of my hand. And I, I have a pretty big hand. So I, uh, the cards look tiny in comparison to the size of their hands. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to I want to switch it up a little bit and talk a bit about how, you know, you as I mentioned in the description of this episode, that you you went from sports cards to Wall Street and some of your skills, you know, came from some of the skills that you use in your career uh, originated for you in the sports card hobby. Uh, can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm a firm believer in sports cards and I think it, it teaches kids and children a lot of very important kind of professional skills teaches them how to negotiate, you know, how, how to buy and sell things, how to flip, you know, how to, how to speak to adults and different sales tactics. Right. So I, I think there's so much to learn and being presented with these opportunities and learning these skills at a young age, you know, really allowed me to prosper, you know, th throughout my education and into my professional career. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a stock trader at a major bank now. And at the end of the day, it's, it's very si similar in its nature to flipping sports cards, right? You're trying to buy low, sell high. And it's very similar in that. In that. So a lot of the skills, you know, I, I acquired in sports cards over the years, you know, I, I attribute a lot of my success now, thanks to those skills. I, I was, a, in my opinion, light years ahead of many of my peers. You know, I was running, I had an entrepreneurial spirit. I was already running an eBay business in middle school, like many of the young children in the hobby now, right? And I'm always a big fan and a proponent. And I think it's it's amazing the children that get involved in the hobby and they, they all are, have very bright futures ahead for themselves. Is there any skill that you can pinpoint that you developed as a hobbyist, as a young hobbyist that you're using today in your day-to-day -day job? And the reason I ask, and I'll, I'll the reason I ask is because you know, there's a lot of kids that come by my booth at the Toronto Expo that I've been setting up at for over 15 years now. And oftentimes they'll come with their with their parents or their father or their mother. And they're, you know, the father or mother, they're there, they're there and they're supporting the kid, but they don't necessarily think that it's going to help them in later life. Because I'll get into the conversation, I'll talk to the parents about this. This has happened to me numerous times. And when I get an inkling that they don't see the benefit of their kid collecting or trading sports cards, I try to explain to them why I think it might be very beneficial to them moving as they grow up and they start to get into the, the workforce and going to college and interviewing for jobs and then really dealing with other adults in business. And I think, you know, one of the things I love about the hobby in terms of it being good breeding ground for future business people, leaders, 
is that you know if you're 13 years old and you and you come up to my booth at the sport card expo in toronto or whatever show i'm at and i'm 30 years older than you and you're going to negotiate with me and i'm not going to treat you like a 13 year old i'm going to treat you like a 40 year old because i don't want to because i want to i want you to learn from this just as a as a hobbyist you know i feel like there's some great experience these kids are getting and they I also think that they're developing some self-esteem and confidence because now they're they're less shy. They're able to talk to an adult who's, say, 30 or whatever more years older than them. And I think that that's a, a great skill that our hobby offers, among other things like organization and finances. And there's more. There are other skills, but it's really that negotiation skill, uh, confidence, you know, being able to just talk to people that you may not know, which, you know, kids are often shy. So, I mean, I'm, I'm putting all this out there things that I think are beneficial that would help people like youngsters as they get older and, and make their way into a career in the workforce. But for you yourself, is there any skill that you felt that you picked up as a sports card trader, collector, dealer at a card show flipper, if you will, that you use specifically today? Yeah. I mean, again, I I think there's so many, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I'll, I'll just further reiterate one of them just, you know, be, being able to speak to a- adults or anyone in that on a lo- level playing field in that matter, manner, right? So even today, right, you'll go to a collection, you'll go to a booth, right? People, they might have a collection worth 10 times your collection, right? And you, and you need to not be, you need to have the confidence to be able to negotiate with them and talk with them. And especially in the sports card community, I think so many of us are introverted or, you know, are shy and uh, the hobby really allows us to kind of break out of that shell, right? And, even today, I'll be going to a client meeting. I, may, I might be speaking to a portfolio, uh, portfolio manager who is worth billions, right? And I, I can speak to him like anyone else, right, in a professional manner. And I think my my confidence and not being concerned in my ability to speak to anyone, right, is, is all due to doing that when I was a kid and speaking to all sorts of adults um, and different collectors, and then number two, I would probably say the biggest one is just from a quantitative perspective, right? Is how do you value cards? I think that's such an important skill that perpetrates throughout life, right? How do you value different things? So the idea of being able doing research and learning quantitative skills and finding how do you track completed sales and how do you learn about comps and how do you price cards, right? And that com- comes up so much later in life with, you know, retirement savings, investment accounts, real estate, whatever it may be. Um, and, and third, one I haven't really mentioned, and that's even for the younger kids, is I, I learned how to read from cards. I collected Pokemon cards was when I was a kid. And I remember even my parents will still tell me this day, I would bother them every day and say, hey, what, here's this Pikachu. What, what does it say on it? I want to know the move or whatever, because I'd play the card game. And one day my parents were so fed up with it, they just told me no more. You, you got to go learn how to read it. And they said, one day I just came back and I just, I read it to them and I just learned how to read from Pokemon cards. Right. And, and it's fascinating. And I think it, it's so important. Cards have so much to teach and getting it in the hands of anyone at any age can, has so much to offer and teach them. So now let's, let's uh, reverse engineer it and talk about some of the skills or uh, like trends that you've, that you are aware of because you're, you're a trader on wall street and that you would apply to the hobby itself. And I'm going to start with one myself that I, you know, that is very relevant in our hobby, which is just cycles, the ups and downs of, of, of a cycle. Do you find that as somebody who's in the financial markets, that you are 
less uh do you get less excited or less less uh even your emotions are they more in check when card values go up and down through the through through you know the 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 unending repeated cycles that we've seen since the beginning of cards and will continue to and we've had some big cycles or some big big swings within cycles in the last couple of years do you feel that the cycles that the hobby has gone through recently are normal and natural and do you take any comfort in them based on what you've seen in previous cycles in financial markets yeah that's a great question um so i think in in proper investing the idea is that you should always rid of emotions right emotions give way to irrational thinking so and to be proper kind of wealth manager or make proper investment decisions you really have to take emotions out of the picture and you have to make kind of proper investment decisions so a lot of that is holds true now right so in the cycles i'm definitely a lot less emotional and try to make more rational decisions um but i think interestingly enough with sports it's one of those things where sports is probably one of the largest aspects of our life where we allow emotions to kind of overtake us right we get so passionate about our teams there's no way we can't be emotional about sports and then it only it bleeds into sports cards right and interestingly enough i think that kind of emotional love for cards introduces the most irrational behavior potentially in a market like this which causes larger swings and larger cycles right so when you're seeing some sort of pump or a kind of hype machine around a card or player it only it actually is driven so much further or on a larger magnitude within this industry because of how we allow sports and emotions to rule us. So I think a lot of people don't approach sports cards in a rational investment manner, which I think is wrong, which allows people like myself or rational think it, thinkers to come in and kind of take advantage or use that as an opportunity. Interesting. Interesting. Well, thanks for that. Um, let's go to a comment here. Richard Price says, do you feel like you have to pay up for iconic rookie cards with autographs sometimes? Yes, definitely. They're they're unfortunately they're beginning to go through the roof. I think they're really becoming very popular. Uh, they're very rare. I think just last week we had the heritage auction, um, and there was a I, I believe there was a fifty two tops mantle signed, a fifty one Bowman signed mantle, and they they all I think the fifty two brought two hundred forty thousand maybe, and they're all smashing records. So when some of the ultra modern stuff continues to hit n- new lows, you know the signed vintage is just continues to soar and break records. So. It's definitely getting harder. That's for sure. You mentioned uh, you mentioned you know some of the stories you have behind some of your autograph cards, like your your Doctor J, uh, etc. You know you've got your main PC are your is your top seventy five autograph rookie cards. You got your you got your Kawhi collection. You've got some baseball here and there, some signed sets, all these things. But I want to focus on the top seventy five rookies. Uh, autograph rookies and the stories behind them like that's a does every card in that collection of yours have a story behind it that that adds value like for not not dollar value but emotional value nostalgic value for you and i ask this question because to me there that is a real thing there are some cards that you know to me may be much more valuable than to the next person because of the story behind it. And I I think I said this in a recent episode somewhere that, you know, nostalgic, personal, like nostalgic value, you you can't cash that in Uh, unless you just hold out and someone's desperate to to acquire that card. 
But are there any cards that you own that are, you know, exceedingly valuable to you because of the story behind them? And is there anything else you'd like to talk about in, in terms of, you know, is there a story behind all of these cards? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's what makes part of the set so fascinating is at the end of the day, there really is a story behind every card, right? It's not just a card that was pulled from a pack and that's it, right? And it's like everything else, right? Each card has a story. Where was it autographed? Um, who who was the collector? How did they get it autographed? What What's the chain of kind of ownership since then, right? And it's interesting because in art and other kind of alternative asset classes, one thing that's very important is provenance, right? In the, in the chain of kind of ownership from beginning to end of that asset. And I think that's, that's very true with signed vintage. And I think that's important with kind of the story behind it. So even though some of the stories are sentimental to me and um, they add value to myself, I think a lot of it is the story that the card tells and the chain of ownership. So one interesting one is this uh, 1961 Fleer Bill Russell in action signed in silver, and it's a PSA 7. It's the highest in the pop. Um, and so obviously, even getting a 7 in the 61 Fleer set, which is infamously off-centered all the time, I think it's a gorgeous card, gorgeous uh, corners, color is great. And I got this from a collector who actually got it from a gentleman. Um, I guess the, he, he got it signed himself, and he got it the card from a gentleman who pulled it from a pack. So you can you can literally decipher the entire ownership down to where the card got pulled from the pack, right? And I can tell that story and I have pictures or kind of other th pieces of evidence to support all that. So I've, I've had a lot of people kind of recommend that I write a book and kind of a chapter per card. Um, and it, it really is. I mean, there's a whole story that could be told for each card and I could write pages about it. So I think it's definitely what adds to the kind of interest in the whole set and why I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I love the whole concept of, first of all, I love the idea of, of you writing a book and uh, having pictures of your cards in there. You know, you might need to wait till you find these last four, but uh, but I'd buy that book and, and and enjoy flipping through it for sure. But I think the, the takeaway there for me, for like everybody, and I mean, listen, we have a lot of advanced collectors that watch this show, but for, you know, people who are may, maybe just sort of getting into it, uh, that's something that I would I would recommend people really like you know you can buy a card and add it to your collection maybe add it to your your list of cards you own if you track these things but keep track of where you got it from you know and if you're buying it you know from someone you don't know online whether you're buying it from a you know an auction house like pwcc or, or ebay uh but if you buy a card off a off a like an in-person human and you can ask them where did you get the card like that's always interesting to me. I I always I ask that question a lot when I'm buying a card, especially if it's a card that I, I really am going to care about. Some cards you care more about than others, you know. So um, I would always kind of recommend people like ask that question. If you have the opportunity to ask it, ask it and find a way to attach the story to the card so that when you move it, you have that story to go along with it because the next purchaser, as the hobby becomes more sophisticated and continue continues to mature. I think it will continue to do both of those things. People might want to know that information. Where did you get it? You know, who did you get it from? Do you remember? Did they tell you where they got it from? I mean, I've asked these questions before of people. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have reasons to ask. You know, you might want to make sure that it's it, it's not trimmed or whatever it might be for a raw card. So that's a 
I think it's just a good practice to get into if it, if it makes sense. It obviously, or I don't think it makes sense in every situation, but it does in many situations. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Please. I was going to say, I think even more so, I mean, we can, we can get on the topic of kind of autographs and the issue. That's, with where, I was, these that's days. where I was about to go. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, I guess before we get on that topic, I was going to say, I think there's really two stories behind each card. I think one is a chain of ownership and any kind of, maybe your own sentimental value that you now add to that ownership chain or on the second aspect of the story, I think is the story of the card itself. Right. And I think that's something that vintage kind of collectors always share. And I think it's getting lost in the, in the ultra modern world. Right. And I think that's something I've actually enjoyed doing with Kawhi. And I'll just give a few examples that I find interesting myself. So um, here's a, here's a game used laundry tag of Kawhi. And you might think there's nothing special about this card, but after doing research, I've learned this is the only game used rookie laundry tag of Kawhi Leonard. And that means it's the only game used probably of his rookie jersey. And now, like, now that all of a sudden that card has significance if it's the only one-of-one one rookie game used laundry tag of his rookie jersey, right? So something that on the surface, you know, it doesn't seem that special. As you do your research, you find that it has a certain story to, um, behind it. Yeah, I just got to say kudos to uh panini and upper deck and tops for finding a way to make laundry tags valuable <laughs> yeah seriously right who would who would have thought that a laundry tag would be something that that could be hotly pursued but they figured out a way a way to do it uh but back you know your comment about ultra modern and how the story behind the card is might get lost or just not important with with you know higher production numbers now than in the you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, or at least up to the 70s, never mind the 90s, we won't get into the 90s. But today, one of the things that one of the things that does add provenance is the fact that many big cards are pulled on camera. And if you can save that clip or find access, get access to that clip and save it and find a way to attach that to your card and maybe just save it on your phone. And when when someone you sell the card, you show them the video. I mean, there's, I think that's going to add value down the road, especially in a world where patches, especially for RPAs, where patches are getting faked and, and upgraded a lot with, you know, from, from uninteresting patches to interesting ones or one colors to three colors or whatever it might be. Having that, uh, having that little video of the card popping out of the pack the first time by a breaker, wherever they may have been, might be a big value add down the road. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I think those videos definitely add the provenance that, you know, they show the condition of the card. What was the patch? What was the autograph when it was pulled? Um, and secondly, I mean, shout out to PWCC. I think you could say these, sometimes these videos that they prepare, thanks to Adam, the real 27 guys for some of their premier listings are great too. Right. And I, I, I'm fortunate enough to buy that mic in, and now I have my own little kind of promotional video to go with it. Right. And I can always use that if I ever not, not that I ever will move that card, you know, but it's something I can now use and enjoy just tell the story of that card. That's that's really cool. And yeah, shout out to Adam for sure. He is doing a great job with his videos for PWCC. Let's talk about autographs. Um, and let's 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 talk about some current news. It's still current. I mean, there's been a, a thousand other YouTube channels and Instagram accounts that have covered it, but let's get your take on uh, the George Brett Babe Ruth autograph mishap. Uh, and then I also want to talk about, you know, what your thoughts are on, on like things like Luca's signature. Is it his mother signing it and you know, is Lulu him or his mother? But let's start with the, 
the, the, the George Brett autograph on the Babe Ruth card, I think it was. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And, and, you know, what are the repercussions of an event like this taking place on such a significant card? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's devastating in the hobby. It's very unfortunate, right? Um, I think we're seeing kind of uh, qu- quality control really, really take a hit as uh, these companies are facing production issues and, and Panini's now losing their licenses, which we can talk about also. But I think for the, for the hobby itself, you know, all these autograph scandals are just, it's terrible, right? It, it ruins any collector confidence and sentiment for autograph collecting in general, right? You, you mentioned the fake Babe Ruth autographs, right? Or, or the George Brett autograph too. Then you have the whole Luca Lulu scandal. You have all these Lionel Messi autographs that were supposedly signed by his brother, right? You have these Dak Prescott autographs from his rookie year that were apparently auto-penned, right? And, it, and on top of that, these sticker autographs, sticker autographs that are peeling or autographs that are fading, you, you, the list goes on and on. And the list of autograph controversies continues to grow. And I think that only further kind of in, emphasizes the importance of signed vintage. You know, signed vintage, some of these autographs aren't great, but at the end of the day, you can confirm that the player signed it, they touched the card, you have confidence that the autograph's real, and these autographs don't fade. You know, they're, they're signed on kind of old cardboard um, paper, you know, not the shiny plastic stuff now. And these autographs don't fade. They're on card. They're signed by the players. And as the list of autograph con- controversies continues to grow, I-, I think that only emphasizes the importance of signed vintage and the importance of signed on-card autographs. Well said. Let's Vintage Card Collector makes a, <clears throat> makes a similar con- comment, says, vintage autographs are great because they are the opposite of ultra-modern. They aren't, there aren't millions of them. And most Hall of Famers care about the quality of their signature. It's that last piece there that is really special, that their autographs were just so much nicer. Athletes today don't take pride in their autograph. I I know it's a general statement I just made. There are going to be exceptions. But what we see, they don't take much pride in their signature anymore. And maybe it's because they're signing thousands and vintage players were signing maybe six or seven or 25 a day at the ballpark when young fans would come. So maybe that's a part of it. And if that's the case, I somewhat do understand that. There were a couple of years in my career, Sasha, where I was signing 25,000 times every tax season. And that, you know, literally gets like my signature went to crap because of that. And it's never recovered. It never recovered. So I, you know, I would have an autograph like, like one of today's athletes. So I kind of cut them some slack, but who cares what the reason is? Vintage is right here. Vintage card collector is right that, you know, you look in a Harmon Killebrew autograph or or a Jean Beliveau for the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, these guys have beautiful Will Chamberlain. Like they they signed their whole name. They didn't skip any letters. So that's that's a great a great call. I want to get your opinion on sticker autographs in modern product and. I like, let's not talk about, I don't think it comes down to, you know, is it right or wrong? Or, you know, they should get them. Every card should be hard signed or on card auto. That's just not practical anymore for card companies. But nonetheless, we don't have to choose to just, you don't have to choose to buy them and like them, but you know, you can just not buy them if you want. But what is your, what is, what are your thoughts on sticker autographs for yourself? Like, do you like them? Do you, do you, do you care that the player didn't touch the card, but they maybe touched the sticker. How do you fall? Just talk about sticker autos. Uh, the short answer is I hate sticker autos. <laughs> I really <laughs> don't like them. You know, I'm. It goes against everything I believe in. 
you know, I like on card player touched it. I know the autograph's real. So when it comes to sticker autographs, I'm, I'm just not a fan. Right. And I have some sticker autographs in my collection. Don't get me wrong. Right. I, on some iconic cards, you know, th- th- they make the autograph look good. You know, sometimes they can fit it into the design. Um, sometimes they, they can make it look good. Right. Or sometimes you just don't have another option. If it's an iconic card with a sticker auto, well, it is what it is. Right. Um, I think, I think the bigger issue, right. As you said, I think it's, it's more of a production issue, right. I think a lot of the production companies are saying like, well, we can't force the players. I mean, the time it would take to send cards, to go get signed, wait for players to sign, sign them, send it back. It would take two years for a product to come out. Right. So unless they can fix that kind of process and speed it up, you know, I really, I really don't see any other way to get around sticker autographs. And even worse, I think redemptions are even worse. So if, if you're going to p- put redemptions in there and then not not come through with the card, you know, then then give me the sticker. You know, I'd rather have something than nothing. Yeah, fair enough. I'm, I'm with you. I, as a as a general rule, will just won't buy a card that has a sticker autograph on it there. I mean, there's got I'm sure there's a couple of exceptions in, in my collection, uh, although I can't really think of any and not. But I think there could I could see a situation where an exception arose that I would acquire a sticker autograph. But in general, I just don't like seeing the outline of the sticker on the card. And it's really hard for that outline to be hidden or to really blend in well. I yeah, I agree. Better. I was I was trying to come up with an example. I, I actually took me a minute to find one, but I think you'll like this one. I think it's pretty unique and I, it's unfortunate it's a sticker autograph, but uh, it's a Mario Lemieux Game Use Shield. And it's it's from a Leaf product, so it's kind of a poor man's version. But hey, they still got the picture of Mario Lemieux there. It's game used. It's still a shield. It's a one on one, and hey, it's got the autograph. And you can't really tell it's a sticker. They they made it kind of blend in pretty well. But yeah, and I mean, and Leaf for the most part, I, I believe, is mostly sticker autographs in their product. So when 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 that's kind of your model, you you kind of need to get to the point where you're going to make them blend in nicely. And I guess Leaf has done a really good job at that. I still don't know that I would want to uh, to add sticker autographs to my collection, and it's not because I hate them or I think they're 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 bad. It's just that there's so many things I want to buy out there in this hobby, so many cards I want to buy that it, it it's a convenient and easy place to just draw the line and say no. That way, I can like allocate funds to cards I want more. You know, it's just kind of one of those controls that I put in place on my own hob on my own hobby activity. And, um, but yeah, I, I can see, like I said, I could see exceptions, but I don't know when I'll make one. So uh, let's go to some more comments, Sasha. Joshua Sherber says, Harmon Killebrew was, was one who talked to twins athletes about taking time with their signature. Michael Cudier even talked about how he helped him and his signature. That's nice. I mean, yeah, take pride in it when, when you can. Uh, vintage card collector says they should call ultra ultra modern autographs initials. Just call them initials, not autographs. Yeah, good point. YK says I really think that players today are coming from an educational system that no longer prioritizes penmanship, and that's definitely a part of it as well. And he also says most people Jeremy's age. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Uh, <laughs> remember their mother's handwriting when they had to pick something up at the store. Yes, that's. That's hilarious. You're right. I used to, I, there were days I went and picked up cigarettes from my, from my mother at the card shop. Yes. And then of course I'd buy some packs of hockey cards or stickers back in the mid eighties. TB12 says I would never buy a sticker auto. And I think that's 
something that a lot of people do and or feel. But I've also talked to people who they don't really care. It's still the player's autograph. Just because the player didn't touch that card, it's still a player's. It's still the player's autograph, and they likely. Well, I was gonna say they likely touched the sticker, but maybe they didn't. Maybe they touched around the sticker. You know, they touched the other stickers, but probably not the one that you have. Yeah. So, but that would make you think that they did, did touch the one you have when they were signing a different sticker on the sheet. So maybe they did touch the sticker. What do you think of all that? It, it's still a stretch to me. I don't know. I, I think. And then the other problem is like these stickers are new. I think a lot I've seen kind of nightmare examples of them starting to peel. Right. So I think who knows what happens to them down the line and what the autograph is on what material. Right. Still some sort of plastic. I think they fade easier. So look, 99.999% of my cards don't have sticker autos. I'm totally against them. Let's make that clear. But hey, when when I. Average game used Mario Lemieux shield autograph goes for 80 to 100,000 from an upper deck product. I'll take a leaf example for 2% of that all day long. So yeah, I'll make yeah. exceptions. You're right. There are, there are cases where you can still get a really cool card like that one you showed for a lot lower and a lot cheaper, but you've still got all the same basic parts of the card. You know, it's still really cool. I, I just pulled this up. This is, we were talking about Dr. J earlier. You met him at the National. You said, I, I got a picture of me and him at the National. The lighting was weird, but that's me and Dr. J. outside. I saw him walking out of a restaurant in Atlantic City. And so I, I wasn't uh, bashful. I went up and said, hey, Doc, can we get a picture? And he was very gracious. He had, like, security with him, and they were totally cool, too. They didn't uh, give me any any issue. So that was, And, of course, as you could see, I was wearing my Michael Jordan rookie card T-shirt. <laughs> so I think that might have... Uh, help to break the ice with him a little bit let's talk a bit about autographs fading and and not so much fading because i think that's going to happen when you expose an autograph or your card when you display it on your on your shelf and there's sunlight coming in i think autographs are going to fade i think my what i want to ask you more about is i've recently i've seen more and more on card autographed cards for sale on ebay in particular where the autograph is like really faded. And I'm talking a lot about hockey cards here because I've searched for that the most. And and a lot of like Upper Decks, the cup, which is, you know, our version of exquisite, very high-end product. And it's like somebody out there had 300 cards on display, sunlight coming in, autographs faded. So to me, that is even for me. And I know there's people there that probably don't care. It's still the autograph. But to me, that's even less enticing, less attractive for my collection than a sticker autograph is. Is an autograph that has either gone dark, you know, sometimes they go really dark, like that dark, dark blue, black almost, that a nice shiny blue will turn to. And then they start to fade altogether. What are your thoughts on like purchasing or acquiring a card with a an obviously faded autograph? Yeah, I, I, again, it, w- it would be my preference. Um I guess when it comes again, when it comes to signed vintage, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You you get what you get, right? So a lot of the autographs might be fast, they might be quick, maybe not not the greatest example, right? But at least a lot of those don't fade. But when it comes to the modern cards that you're probably talking about, right? The the cup, some of these exquisite, flawless things like that. I think I think I think a lot of the companies they maybe just it it takes time and practice and testing to figure out what ink works on what card material to ensure that it has staying power over a long period of time. And 
unfortunately, I think for a lot of these products, you know, they've probably tried so many different things that for some of these things, it's, it's not going to go well. And I think you're starting to see that, right? And you expose a card to light for an ex extended amount of time and that autograph fades and I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I don't display my cards like that. I try to keep them in dim places. I don't expose them to light. Um, and even now in card shows, you know, I, I've walked around and I'll see cards in display cases and they'll have the dealer's kind of business card covering up the autograph, right? And if you want to see the autograph, you have to ask to take it out of the case and to view it. Because even for them, they're like, well, if I leave it in my case at every show, three days a week, every week under bright lights, you know, over time it'll fade too, right? So I think you're seeing more and more people kind of take it notice to that. And I, I personally, as a, an autograph collector, like I, I would like to see kind of UV protection cases. I think some people are starting to do that, some of the display cases, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't believe the PSA cases have UV protection, right? So PSA ever rolls that out, I'm going to find myself having to re-slap all my cards again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at, at tag grading where, you know, I'm a part of tag grading, our cases are UV resistant or they, there's a level of UV, UV protection there, but we're not doing vintage yet. So that wouldn't help you. But um, I think that that's something that, you know, as a new company, we're very you know concerned about. And now we're accepting pack pulled manufacturer authenticated autographs. So it's important for us to be able uh, to do that. But back to autographs fading, you know, I, that's also an issue with LCSs who have showcases with lights in them and cards that will sit there day in and day out never coming out you know the shine sunshine might be shining through the windows in the morning or whenever and mm -hmm. uh you got to really look at cards carefully you know i'll i'll play with my cards you know i'll take i'll take out a box of cards and i'll put them in piles of my desk for whatever however i'm sorting them and when i'm done i will always look at those piles and if there's an autograph on top, I'll flip the card over because I got a window right there. And I don't want the light shining down even for like three hours on my precious, <laughs> precious cardboard, you know? So I do the I exact same thing. I turn them over. So I like, I didn't realize, I've never seen what you just said, which is that some card shows, vendors are putting their business card on top of the autograph to protect it. Like, bravo, <laughs> bravo. Like, I think that's a brilliant move. And mm -hmm. I, I might start doing the same thing at card shows. So that, that, I think that's a great, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, okay. I wanted just a couple comments. Terry Fortune. Terry, been a while. Good to see you. Says Bic pens are like disappearing ink. Uh, Richard Price says the wrong type of pen could cause fading. A brand new Sharpie is the only way to go. Yeah. I mean, I think so. But will a Sharpie fade over time? I don't know. I would, I mean, I think after a long enough time in the sun, it just might. And Josh Sherber says, I saw an ad on a slab to protect the slab. UV protection for PSA slabs. I just forget where I saw it. Yeah, I'm sure there's, I mean, there's lots of accessories for your slabs out there these days. And Yankees fan says, Raider Lester Hayes was signing for me in black Sharpie on one of his cards. As he handed it back to me, it was smudged, turned into an autograph with a fingerprint. That's that's its own uh, its own collectible right there, I would think. Yeah, and I just just to add a similar story to that. So the LeBron James, believe it or not, the one that I have, um, it's an A eight MK. It's got oh. a mark because believe it or not, the ink faded or went on his fingers, and on the back of the card, there's a fingerprint of his. Cool. I, so I anything, think that's cool. It adds a story that you can you can say it's his card. There's like ink on the back, on the on um, the edge there, right on the on the on the right edge. Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah, you can see it beside the Cavaliers logo. Yeah. That's cool. 
I mean, it got the MK, but who cares? I mean, you still the card's the card. Like, it's still it got an really MK. Cool. Yeah, I got an MK because of his fingerprints on it, right? Like, I think that's cool. Like, I don't. I and then I mean, with a lot of these things, the the qualifiers and the and the numbers, you know, again, you can, beggars can't be choosers. Like, it's it's pop four. It's the second highest graded. Like, it presents nicely. That's all I I care about. For sure, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. We're going to start to wrap up, and uh, before we do, so I'm going to just shout out to the chat. Guys, first of all, thanks, everyone, for for all the great interaction and engagement out there. So any final questions, comments you have, get them out. And while you're doing that, Sasha, I'm going to ask you, before we do, Vintage just did put a question in there. Do you ever bring your own pen for the player to sign with? Uh, I do. I have done that. Good. And then Skeppy is really trying to test me or Skeppy. I think I have this nailed down now. Skeppy says, I wonder if Sasha has any Ken Stabler autographs. I don't. I I think Skeppy. How'd I do, Skeppy? How did I do? Okay, I have this thing where I always forget how to pronounce his name. Is it Stabler or Stabler? But I'm I'm certain it's Stabler now. I I made a point of that. Yeah, I'm glad glad Skeppy brought that up. I could prove my prowess in pronouncing Ken Stabler's name. So again, as we get to wrapping up, uh, I want to, I want you, I want to leave with this question for you, Sasha, you know, and tie in any experience or knowledge you have based on what you do for a living. But obviously the hobby has been through a, a bit of a ride for the last few years. What is your, how do you see 2023 for the hobby? How do you see it rolling out? And if you want to bring in fanatics, that's fine. They're kind of impending takeover of football and basketball on top of already owning tops and baseball. What do you see for 2023 in our hobby? Uh, and I'm not just talking about values, Sasha. I'm talking about engagement. I'm talking about volume. I'm talking about energy. How do you see 2023 shaping out? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll expand on that question and go 2023 and beyond. I think it's hard to project one year out. I mean, just the next year alone, I think prices, some prices will stabilize. Some prices will continue to go up. I think you're going to see a year kind of where some some assets will bottom and start going up and other things will keep going down. I think from an interaction standpoint, social media continues to grow. I think the amount of people kind of online collecting cards continues to grow. I, I, I see more collectors on Instagram every day. So I think in terms of engagement, that, that continues to grow. And I think there's no sign of that slowing down by any means. But looking at the hobby, I think one thing that I've learned is just looking at the past example of when Topps and Upper Deck ran football and basketball when Panini took over, that was 11 years ago, right? So we ha- we have a recent example where we had a complete shift in the industry and um, kind of uh, sports rights moving over to another company. Excuse me. So um, I think we you could easily just look at that past example and learn from it, right? So in when I was in the in the hobby back then, Thompson Upper Deck they just began completely overproducing things at the end to get rid of their inventory, right? So I think. That's not really surprising now. And you're also seeing, right, you're obviously seeing overproduction of a lot of things. I think you're probably going to see them start trying to, use, you're going to see Panini try to use up all of their inventory, all their extra stickers. You're going to see a lot of their insert sets grow. You're going to see their checklists grow. They're going to be trying to get everything out because they don't want to be sitting on stale inventory. Because once they lose the rights to the sports leagues, right, they can't do anything with it. Um, and so I think a lot of products will it'll look like they're just flooding the market with a lot of things. Right. And to some people, for me back then, when that was happening, upper deck completely flooded the market with Jersey cards and other things. And to me, I thought they were ruining the hobby. Um, and then shortly after when Panini took over their inaugural products, they were hated like a lot of things And this hobby, believe it or not, 
a lot of the new products when they come out, they're hated, right? Even the 1952 top set, the iconic set, they dumped half the product in the Hudson River in New York because no one would buy it, right? And, and now it's the most one of the most iconic sets ever. So um, I, I won't be surprised if Panini floods markets with all their inventory unless something changes with the league rights in the next couple of years. Um, I think Fanatics will come out. Their first probably few products will, will be hated and undesired. But down the road, those will be the desirable products because they're their inaugural Fanatics products, right? Yeah, so... so a lot, a yeah. lot of me, I just look at the recent trend of what we saw 11, 12 years ago to kind of see what will play out in the near future. I've Okay, I got a few comments on all that. There's a lot there to chew on. So let me start with this one. Because we now have hindsight and we know that that first year of Panini, Panini Prism in 2012 is now like gold, never mind the gold cards, the silvers, and even the even some of the base cards. Do you think that the hobby is now ready for this next transition to not let that happen again? Not let it take five, six, seven, eight years to realize how cool some of those products were. So maybe there will be people that will speculate on some of these early fanatics products. Like I think, I think that's the case. I, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen again that way. I think, I think that people have learned. What do you think? Yes and no. I think it's relative. I think some people back then were saying the same thing, right? But overall, I think. I mean, Fanatics has already come out with some of their zero cool products, right? And, you know, they're not really, they they might have been hyped up initially, but they never really took off, right? And you could say, hey, their inaugural inaugural products are already out and no one likes them, right? That, that's kind of already happening before our eyes and they might have been hyped up initially, right? But since then, they've completely come down. Um, and I think some people will say they're smart. They're going to enjoy the Fanatics products, all that. They might say that now. Once Panini goes away and you lose Prism and all that, you know, some people... I think you'll you'll see some people miss that. But then again, obviously, when you the first Topps Chrome inaugural Fanatics product comes out, hopefully th that might be hyped up. A lot of people probably get all on that train. But then again, a lot of people will say, well, this isn't the same Topps Chrome that it used to be. There'll probably be 10, 15 parallels of everything, right? So yeah, yeah, you make an argument either there. The other comment is that we have a we already have a case study of when Panini lost a license and had to dump all their inventory, like all their memorabilia. When they lost their hockey license, their last year was 13-14. And they put out two products that were filled with memorabilia. One was, I think they called it Rookie Anthology. And they just dumped, dumped memorabilia into it. And the other one was National Treasures, which is to this day a, a favorite set among hockey collectors because it's beautiful. And there's so many great cards in there that are memorabilia based. So I think you're right when you say that panini is going to now this all assumes that that there is no deal to be had between fanatics and panini and i don't know that i, I kind of think there must be something there even if it's just a an inventory buyout but i think yeah. there's going to have to be something there just my own thoughts um so you know there 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 is that study that case study they're going to have to dump it all unless there's a deal to be done so that that might flood the market and then the other thing is that is it already happening because Panini learned about this like a year and a half ago. This is not this is not sudden. They've already had, you know, a year and a half to plan to exhaust all that inventory. So I wonder if that's already in there, if that's already being executed upon or if they were hoping a deal to get done. So they kept it. Maybe there's value in keeping it for them uh, in terms of value to fanatics. So I don't know. I guess we'll have to we'll have to wait and see any comments on any of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting you mentioned the hockey case study. I didn't even know that. I didn't know that Panini's last year was 13-14, you said. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, upper deck did the same thing. They had 0809 game SP game used, right? And you just had these quad octo game used cards of just random combinations of players, right? So you did have that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing will will there be some sort of inventory buyout? What what's going to happen? What is Panini's inventory, right? What what are they holding on to? Do they have sheets of Kobe autographs, right? Are we are we going to see some sort of potentially Kobe autograph set in the next near future, right? Or or do they not have much game used memorabilia, right? Did Fanatics kind of when as they have all the rights to all the memorabilia and everything, like does maybe Panini doesn't have a big inventory, right? So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with that over the next couple of years. Yeah. I definitely agree with you there. Okay. Uh, TB12 says, this is one of my favorite episodes. Well, that's a high praise for you, Sasha. So thank Great. you, TB12. Appreciate thank that. Mark Santucci, I will give the show five stars out of five. Thank you very much, Mark. Collector's Dream says, great show. Thanks, Sasha, for sharing your collection. That's a really nice comment right there. Joshua Sherber says, National Treasures was one of the best products. He's talking about 1314 hockey. And yes, I, I agree. I went hard on a couple of the uh, inserts in there, or parallels, and Josh goes on to say the patches were just so sick on the rookie patch autos. They really were. Um, it was a big set and some very, that's the Nathan McKinnon rookie year. Uh, thank you, Skeppy. Great show. Appreciate that comment. Okay, Sasha. I mean, we've gotten through pretty much everything that we plan to talk about. So uh, that was great. We're at the hour 45. Good spot to, to call it a night. Jeff McMahon says, awesome show tonight. Really enjoyed. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate these comments at the end, everybody. Always do. It's nice to nice to hear that you like what we're doing here on Sports Cards Live. Sasha, final comments to you, and then we will read any stragglers in the chat, and then we're going to be done. Definitely, yeah. Thanks again, Jeremy, for having me on the show. Had an excellent time having this conversation. I feel like we could talk for so much longer. There's so much to talk about, and thanks for all the kind comments from everyone tuning in, and if anyone has those last four cards that I need, you know, please reach out. If anyone has any questions about signed cards, I'm always available. Reach, find me on Instagram, Sasha P Cards. Yeah, there it is, everybody. On the ticker right now, follow Sasha on Instagram at Sasha P Cards. And also let you all know tomorrow on the channel, 7 o'clock Eastern, Collectible Live, 9.30 Eastern, PWCC Hockey Weekly coverage with Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. And then next Saturday, Cousins, Oz, and Tony from the cousins podcast will be joining the show in sasha's spot that's next saturday and then the saturday after that february the 11th that is super bowl weekend i will not be live on the channel i will be at the burbank card show and if you will be at the burbank card show as well i will be there uh at the tag booth representing tag talking to people i will also be working the floor well i should say walking the floor looking to do a little bit of shopping so if you spot me, please say hello, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet some, some people who are watching the show or commenting and all that. That's kind of one of the best parts of the whole hobby is meeting more hobbyists and like-minded people. So please make sure to do that. Sasha, thank you so much for joining. This was a lot of fun. Hour 45 went by, really felt like about 25 minutes, I would say. So thank you for coming on, making the time. I know it's later out there in New York. Wish you the best tracking down the final four cards of your collection. And I'll continue to follow you on Instagram. Everyone else, have a great rest of your night. And we will hopefully see you back here on the channel tomorrow for the double feature Sunday. And with that, this episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.